There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. The law of the Spirit of life has redeemed us. From death into life, now we walk in His freedom. We are the children of God. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. The law of the Spirit of life has redeemed us. From death into life, now we walk in His freedom. We are the children of God. So we sing out as brothers, we sing out as sisters. We are the children of God. And we are no longer slaves. He has given us new names. We are the children of God. As we suffer for His name and live as His children, we long for the days we can run from these prisons. No longer bound by the sin that surrounds us Forever we live with our God And so we sing out as brothers We sing out as sisters We are the children of God And we are no longer slaves He has given us new names We are the children of God The children of Before tomorrow can separate us from His love I'm convinced there is nothing in all of creation No power of hell, neither angels or demons Not death or not life or not fear for tomorrow Can separate us from His love And so we sing out as brothers We sing out as sisters We are the children of God and we are no longer slaves, He has given us new names. We are the children of God. So we sing out as brothers, we sing out as sisters. We are the children of God. And we are no longer slaves, He has given us new names. We are the children of God, the children of God. Good morning, Carpenter's Way. All right, we are having communion later, so if you did not grab your snack pack on the way in, you should probably make your way out at some point and grab one of those. I don't know what, what we call them. These little packages, they have juice on one side. Anyway, it's kind of a little snack pack. So anyway, if you didn't grab one, you might want to get one of those at the end of the service. We're going to do that. Uh, if you're in the room, you can stand and worship if you want to, or you can sit. I'm not going to make you stand. You can sit if you'd like. I mean, 
probably not really worshiping if you sit, but you can. You can sit if you'd like. Uh, I'm totally playing. Totally playing. If you're visiting, that was a joke. You can sit. Uh, if you're checking us out online, uh, don't be a spectator. Uh, jo- join in with us this morning. Walk alone, I'm not alone, cause everywhere And overcame, he overcame. Cause everywhere I'm going, he's already there. Even in the darkness, I'm confident. In the weakness, Jesus will make me strong. Every war I'm fighting. He's already everywhere I'm going. He's already been. Even in the darkness, I'm confident. In my weakness, Jesus will make me strong. Every war I'm fighting, He's already won. He's already won The one who became the lowest And bore my cross Forever he is the highest The one who became the lowest And bore my cross Forever he is the highest. The one who became the lowest and bore my cross. Forever he is the highest. The one who became the lowest and bore my cross. Forever he is the highest. 
the one who became the lowest, he bore my cross, forever he is the highest. The one who became the lowest, he bore my cross, forever he is the highest. The one who became the lowest, he bore my cross, forever he is the highest. One more time. The one who became the lowest, and bore my cross, forever he is the by redeeming love before the throne of God above He pulls me close with nail-scarred hand into His everlasting arms when Condemnation grips my heart And Satan tempts me to despair I hear the voice that scatters fear The great I am, the Lord is here Oh, praise the one who fights for me and shields my soul eternally oh, boldly I approach your throne and blameless now I'm running home by your blood I come Welcomed as your own into the arms of majesty. Behold the bright and risen sun, more beauty than this world has known. I'm face to face with love himself His perfect spotless righteousness Oh, a thousand years A thousand tongues Are not enough to sing his praise Oh, and Holy I approach 
exalt your throne and blameless now I'm running home by your blood I come welcomed as your own into the arms of majesty Throne and blameless now I'm running home, and by your blood I come, welcomed as your own into the arms of majesty. together. This includes you who were once far away from God. You are his enemies, separated from him by evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Thank you. 
You're robed in mystery and fearsome power. You ride upon the clouds and walk the seas. The valleys rise and mountains bow before you. The earth and heavens tremble when you speak for you.
Sometimes it's to remind us of when we got saved, like the old hymns, times of worship with our families, and other times it just expresses that thing deep inside. Man, that's a good song, Chad. That's the song we could sing when we step into heaven. There you are. You know, Scripture actually says that we see dimly through a glass right now, but one day we're going to see face to face. And, And it is so easy right now, family, to kind of look around and go, where are you, God? Where are you? Uh, Right now, there are brothers and sisters worshiping in Ukraine. And right now, there are brothers and sisters worshiping in Russia. And there are brothers and sisters worshiping in Iran. And I mean, it's it's just all over the globe. We have brothers and sisters that are worshiping. And they're all on different sides of the political spectrum and what's going on in the world. But we have one thing in common, and that is that we bow the knees to the holy God. And it's so good to sing a song like this because sometimes you just go, man, I just, is there any good news? And then, the, then you sing this and you go, there you are, that's right. You are the ultimate good news. And I just, I just want to say as we start this morning, I want to thank you, Chad, for that song. He's, he's gone. He, he leaves right after he leads worship. But I, I, that's a joke that's probably spent its day. He'll, he'll come back. But um, we, man... It is so good to come back together, and for those of you who are watching online, we're so glad you do, but there's nothing like being in the room with like-minded brothers and sisters who are singing songs in the back of each other's heads just going, there you are, it's okay, it's going to be okay, and it is. It's like, it's like a unified exhale and inhaling and, and proclamation and to hear you sing in the front. Uh, if, if you are uh, an average Southern Christian, you always sit in the back. Move your way to the front. Listen to the people behind you. Some have really bad voices, but most sound really, really good. But what, a, what an amazing song. I just am blessed. I know every week I have a favorite passage, and I preach it, and every week it seems like I have a new favorite Chad song. That is a really good song. Amen. Man, that's good. So thank, uh, man, thank you for singing. Thank you, Chad, for writing it. Um, just uh, some announcements before we get into today's text. It's, it's such a good text today. Um, it is, oh gosh, God is speaking to me in Peter and, and just reminding me 
that things haven't changed that much, but we'll get into that in a moment. A couple announcements. Spring break is upon us, and I, now that I don't have kids in school, I forget that, and so the staff has to remind me. But what that means is uh, that our midweek programming from men's timeout to Wednesday night programming, we shut that down this week. So uh, except for Heather's Bible study, Wednesday night ladies, that is on Zoom as well as here. Uh, there won't be child care, but she wants to encourage you to come this Wednesday night, ladies. And if you've never been to it, this is a good week to check it out. Uh, but that's the only thing happening during this week. Of course, we're still here. And if you need us as a staff, you can reach us at the office or you can email or text or whatever. But uh, uh, I, I want to encourage you also to keep praying for each other. And I haven't said it in a while, but there's, there's, uh, there's several ways that you can pray for others and be prayed for. Number one is every Friday, you get in your email box, a, uh, you get a prayer guide along with our virtual bulletin that has all the stuff going on in the church at the time, as well as the prayer needs of our church. And if you are not getting those, then after the service, there's a table out there, and my dad and my Karen will be out there, and they will just get, they'll get your email address, and then you can get that. That is all the information on the church. And if you're watching online, and this is your church right now, uh, then feel free to email the office. Uh, you can email Mark at cwbc.org or Jeff at cwbc or Dolores or Wendy at the same email address. Uh, and we will get you on that list so that you can get those. And for those of you who get them, it is so tempting just to delete it. And we know how many of you look. Okay, it's not just China that knows. But, but take some time. Take some time just to review it, even if it's a quick review, because there are things going on in the children's ministry, even if you don't have children or grandchildren there, that you could be praying for. But just peruse it so you know what's coming up. Invariably, lately, we've had a lot of people going, hey, I have this great idea. Like, for instance... For the, uh, I think we should collect old medical supplies and, and maybe give them out as a ministry. And we're like, well, Steve Hicks has been doing that for about 12 years. And, uh, well, you should make an announcement to collect it. It's in the virtual bulletin. So now we know you don't read it. So, uh, but anyway, take some time to look at that so you know what's going on and, and other things. All right, last announcement I want to make this morning, then we're going to jump in. Uh, the last announcement I want to make this morning is that as summer approaches, we have our mission trips coming up. And uh, right now, the only one scheduled is one to Brazil. And if you have been wanting to go on a mission trip, make sure that you get your information. You can talk to Robert Grimes, who is back here in this area after the service, or Kevin or Pam Hudson, or you can email the office and we'll put you in touch with them. If you're interested in even gathering or getting more information on it, let us know because we're in the planning stages right now of that. And uh, we want to put you on that list. There is a team praying about leading a team to Guatemala this summer. So if that is of interest to you, let Robert know that as well. And uh, we will keep you informed. But it's time now to jump in if you'd like to go to Brazil. And there's plenty of open spaces on that. Okay? Thank you. Okay. So uh, I'm going um, to pray and then I'm going to show you a video. Uh, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would speak to us in this video and through the text this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So a couple things uh, I had forgot to do. During this video, if you did not get elements for communion this morning and you're a child of God and want to participate, would you please uh, let uh, a couple guys are going to be walking around the back, just kind of look and wave at them, and they will make sure you get these elements. What we use is a communion snack pack, we call it affectionately, and uh, um, that's, that's how we do it now so it's not open and people aren't sneezing on it and stuff like that. So that's that. So that'll be at the end of our service, and if you are a child of God, you're welcome to participate with us. So uh, uh, anyway, so that's that. So this video, uh, this was sent to me by Kevin Height this week, and it was 
super powerful in my life. And it was powerful because it's exactly what we have been talking about. Brad, there's some people over here on, uh, at, in the area over here that need it. Just get us. Oh, there's Robert. So, um, so watch this video. I know nothing about One for Israel. Okay, that's the organization that put this out. I don't know, I don't know their doctrine statement. I don't know what they do. I am, we're not here to support them. I simply want you to watch this video because it is like, wow. And you'll see why. And then we'll get into our text. Zechariah, he was a nice person. He was a decent person. He was very smart. He was the only Christian in the whole of the school. And I hated him. And because I thought as a Muslim, I must be better than him. But he was better than I. We start to beat him every single day that we come to school. And we agreed on that night, we need to kill him. It was dark, it was uh, cold, and we went ahead of him. And we were five of us. We climbed a tree and we waited there. And from far away, we saw that a torch coming and the light became bigger and bigger as it approaches us and the minute that he just went under the tree we jumped at him he was crying he was screaming he was shouting we broke his arm we broke his leg he started to bleed and because he started to scream and begging for help i put my hand in his mouth so that no noise will come out of it. Similar when you are slaughtering a sheep, you know, it's just shivering and the others were, were beating him. I felt very proud. You were actually doing something for, for Allah. You know, you want to please him. And suddenly, he could no longer breathe and we could not hear his voice. We left him in the wood between life and death. We went back, you wash yourself, and you pray. And Zechariah never came back. We've never seen him again. I was born and raised up in a very, very fanatic Muslim family. When I was a child, my father brought me to a Quran school. I was only eight years old, and my father just dropped me there. They shaved my head, we sat in a circle. The shaykh sat in the middle of the circle and he has a very long whip. I was forced to memorize the Quran. Every mistake that you do, this whip will just come right in the middle of your head. You're not allowed to cry because in our culture they tell you men never cry. I was crying every single night. And they told me, you belong to the Islamic Ummah. And that's why you fight for it. You stay loyal to it. I started to hate people. To hate everybody who's not a Muslim. And I especially used to hate the Jews. So I was preparing myself to go and fight for Allah in the Jihad. But every night I went to bed. And when we put the light off, I did not know what will happen with me if I die. My cousin was severely sick and the doctors, they said he's going to die. They gave him only a couple of days. 
And one day came two people, they were Coptic Christians, and one of them wanted to greet me, and then I saw he had a cross, and then I pulled my hand back, I said, well, I'm not going to touch a hand with a cross. And then he said to me, we hear that this child is sick, we would like to pray for him. And only out of politeness, I told them, okay. And they started to speak to God like a person that he speaks to his friend. They said, God, please heal this child. The minute that they said, Amen, this child opened his eyes for the first time in four weeks. He started to move his hands. He started to speak. He sat down in his bed and he started to walk. And one of those two persons who prayed sat down with me and he said to me, you know what? The real miracle is that God wants to change your heart. Do you believe that Yeshua is alive? And I told him, yeah. Because according to the Islamic tradition, God took him to heaven and he's alive and he will come back one day. And he said to me, because he's alive, you can speak to him. That changed my entire life. And when I started to read the scripture, nobody needed to convince me to love the Jewish people. The only way for Muslims to start to love the Jews is when they meet Yeshua. I loved my family, I loved my father. I loved my mother and I loved my community. And when I decided to follow Yeshua, my grandfather and my father said to me, you are no longer one of us. They made a funeral. They invited friends and family. They brought a coffin to the cemetery and they said, our son is dead. To be declared dead with no family. I said to God, where are you? I heard this voice and this voice told me, you know that the grave where your name is written, you know that grave is empty. And guess what? My grave is also empty. I went to Egypt for the first time after many years and I was in a pastoral conference. And one of the Sudanese pastors came to me, it's an elderly man, gray hair, started to speak to me and he asked me, where did you come from? I told him my story. He started to cry. And then I asked him, why are you crying? And he said to me, do you remember me? My name is Zachariah. And suddenly, I remembered him. The last time I saw him, it was in that dark night. I could hear suddenly the way that he was screaming, even though that was 25 years. Suddenly I started to see his broken arm and broken legs. I started to see the scars which I caused him. I started to be full of shame. I was a bad person, yeah. I was terrible. So Zachariah looked me straight into the eye again and he said to me, Yes, sir, because you hated me so much. 
I was always praying for you. He opened his Bible, and the minute he opened his Bible, I saw that my name was written in the first page. I hated him. He prayed for me. On that day, God confronted me. He said to me, even before you start to think about me, I was thinking about you. To love those who hate you, you need someone whose name is Yeshua. Yeah, we could, we could almost end there, huh? I mean, this is, this is what we've been talking about. I mean, I just, seriously, is it really just about saving this country? Or our community? Or our wealth? I mean, when, we pray, when I watch this, I think about my prayers. Give me a better job, and I like my job, but, you know, give me a better life, keep us healthy, and you kind of go, wow. That is a bigger deal, isn't it? I mean, this guy's soul. What an incredible story that is. And it's, it, it's really what Peter has been talking about to us in our study of 1 Peter. And for those of you who have not been with us, we've been studying Peter's first letter to the predominantly Gentile followers of Jesus uh, in what he calls at the end of his first letter, Babylon, which is Rome, and I'll explain why he calls it that later. Together we've been listening in as Peter tries to encourage the followers of Christ whose, whose world has radically changed since following him. Their lives radically changed, unlike ours. When they started to follow Jesus, they were ridiculed for their faith. Many of their families excommunicated them like him. Even to this day, it is not uncommon to be considered dead and to have a funeral service for you in the Hebrew communities as well as in the Middle Eastern communities as well as throughout the world. That's not uncommon. These people were scared because it actually felt like it was going to get worse as the government began to actually persecute them physically, openly. And they were scared. The people that Peter are writing to uh, in this letter are wondering, what is happening? We follow Jesus because he would improve us. And the real question, well, what's, what's going to happen next? And in our study so far, we have watched as Peter confirmed their worst fears. And I want to be clear about this. I mean, this, this video goes against every health and wealth preacher ever. To say that God wants Zechariah to be rich, wealthy, and happy is to deny that testimony. It's to deny the testimony of Stephen, who was stoned to death. It's to deny John the baptizer's death. It's to deny all those who have gone before, before us and today in the Middle East serve the Lord and in Ukraine serve the Lord. We live in a, a culture that, that worships the idol of self, and even the church has engaged that. The idol of self, me, I want but in our, so, our study so far, we have, uh, we have watched Peter confirm their worst fears. They must have been asking Peter, we feel like exiles. The Hebrew Christians don't know if we're even saved. The Gentile people we grew up with don't want us. And he confirms their worst fear by saying, you are exiles. You are exiles in this world. But here's the good news. 
He confirms that they are now have an opportunity to be reminded that their real hope and their real comfort and their real wealth and their real future is not in this life and never was. One of the blessings of persecution, one of the blessings you have when everything is taken from you or to watch the world get weirder, and it is getting weirder. It is getting more depraved, more evil, to spin out of control, where Christians sit in the circle and kind of look at each other going, I've never seen it like this. Of course you haven't. It's spinning downward into self-worship. It does give us the opportunity to remind us that as God's adopted kids, our real wealth, our real inheritance, our real hope and future is awaiting us in the next life, protected us by the King of Kings who happens to also be our daddy. That's our hope. Peter tells them that even though the world may not have use for them, like the Israelites in the wilderness, they are, in fact, God's chosen people. And he, is not, he has not only not abandoned them, but he has a plan for them in their circumstances. Peter wants them and us to understand that we're not just inhabitants of this planet, but we are ambassadors of our daddy's kingdom. We are the priests, the royal priests of that kingdom. And, in fact, we have become the temple of the Holy Spirit's presence. That everywhere you go and everywhere you are, you actually bring the presence of the Holy Spirit with you. And that answers the question, why people? I had somebody tell me this week, I don't understand. I must have a sign on my forehead that says, please ask me about your problems. Have you ever felt that? That's because you are the temple. Where else are they going to go? They're going to ask you to pray for them. And, and when people say that, they're like, I don't have anything to say. I've not been trained in counseling. Well, I've got good news. Even therapists have no eternal answers. You have the answer of life, and he's living within you. The very power of the Trinity that's transforming us. What did Zachariah have? Zachariah is under a tree, screaming for his life like I would do. Remember, I'm a screamer. But God had another plan. Through this, I think the thing that blew me away about this, the reason I wanted to show it to you, wasn't just because of the story, but because he opens his Bible and that guy's name is on the front page. I don't know about you, but I'd have been going, that, those guys, they're evil, jihadist jerks. I'd have had names for them that sound racist. I'd have been angry. We'd have agreed together on it. But this guy was praying for him. That's the upside-down kingdom we've been studying. Where we love our enemies. Where we pray for those who persecute us. Where we don't respond in violence or vengeance, but, but humbly trust in the Lord. In the Trinity, looking for opportunities at these times and in all circumstances to be the place where people encounter God and His kingdom on earth, just like Jesus did. Um, during a severe period of rain, a local family was sitting on the roof watching the water rise around their house. And there's a mom sitting with her son, and, and as she's, they're sitting on the roof of the house, the son watches a straw hat float by, and it goes around the house, and he just looks at it, and the mom says to her son, that's your grandfather's hat. And all of a sudden, a minute later, that hat goes upstream. And the boy looks at his mom and says, what is that hat doing? And she goes, well, your grandfather's under the hat. He said, come hell or high water, I'm mowing the lawn today. See, I didn't think that joke was all that funny. I, but I will tell you this, that's exactly how Jesus felt about his plan. You see, the reason Jesus came according to Scripture, and yes, he loves us, and yes, he's part of the Trinity. I don't want to take anything away from that. But he came because his father told him to come. He came out of obedience. 
And come hell or high water or even the cost of his reputation and life and joy, temporary happiness, he was going to fulfill the Father's plan. That's what his life was about. He lived 33 and a half years and walked among us and eventually dies, which was the plan. But if you want to know how he felt about dying, look at the last prayer in the Garden of Eden. Or Garden of Eden. That's a different garden. In the Garden of Gethsemane. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he actually prays, Father, take this cup of suffering from me. I remember growing up in the church and hearing that Jesus just didn't want to bury the sin, but it says the cup of suffering. Jesus didn't, and and sin, carrying our sin was probably part of it, but it was the suffering that he feared. It was the suffering he didn't want to do. And he cries out to his Father, but he ends his prayer, but not my will, Father, yours be done. Jesus, fully man, had a different will than the Trinity. Something within him didn't want to go through that, but he said, not my will, yours be done. Even Jesus, like Zachariah, was willing. Well, Zachariah really didn't have a choice, let's be honest. I don't want to make more out of it than it is. The dude's just walking down the street and they jump out of a tree on him. But Jesus had a choice, but he still fulfills the Father's will. Come hell or high water. John chapter 6, 38 says as much. May not be there, but I can sure read it to you. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. What? Not to do my own will? You know, Isaiah says that Jesus was a man of many sorrows, that he didn't have any human offspring in this life. And the reason, that when, I, when I read that list in Isaiah, I think to myself, huh, he must have thought about that. You know, a lot of people like to make, uh, you know, comments about Jesus and Mary Magdalene. They were probably boyfriend and girlfriend. The scriptures never, ever say that. But I do think Jesus must have thought about dating somebody sometime. As a Jewish boy, he wanted to follow in his father's steps and have a family. He was not just partially human, he was fully human. And he was tempted in every way, just like us. He wanted to have a good life. He wanted to have a long life. He didn't want to suffer. How can I say that? Because of some of his prayers. But it wasn't his will he came to do. It was his father's will. And the reason I bring that up is because we have a lot of similarities with Jesus. We grow up in a culture that actually tells us that in the name of Jesus, we can have a good life. And I'm here to tell you, that is not ever promised in Scripture. We are promised a good eternity. Jesus came down to accomplish the task of the Trinity that that had set to save save us, and nothing was going to stop him from that. And it is with that that we start chapter 4 of 1 Peter's letter to us. So then... Since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude that he had and be ready to suffer too. Let's just ignore that part. Thank you for eight of you giggling. I know, I know that this isn't the kind of stuff that, uh, I don't know, I don't need to name people, that the songs are sung about today, that the music out of Bethel is saying. I know that this is not the kind of Christianity that's, that's marketed at a large level. That kind of Christianity says whatever your need, whatever your want, whatever your desire, if you just come to Jesus by faith, he'll meet you. But this actually says, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. And we kind of look around and we say to ourselves, well, well okay, so I'm willing to be persecuted and die if that's what the Lord asks. But there's more to it than that. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 3, just the verses right ahead of this, it actually explains how Jesus Christ suffered. What was his attitude? Starting in verse 18, it says, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but that wasn't the end of his story. 
He was raised to life in the Spirit. So, he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Just on a side note, Jesus got the final word. Even to those in the Old Testament who had died, Jesus went and proclaimed to the, to the Old Testament saints as well as those that were lost. He proclaimed to them those who, verse 20, disobeyed God long ago when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat. Now you've got to pause for a second because that is a weird sentence. See, when we talk about being having the attitude of Christ, having the attitude of God, we always think about being willing to suffer. We always thinking about being willing to die for God's plan. But it is more than that, apparently. It tells us, and this was weird this week. I thought a lot about this. I've talked to several of you about it. But this actually says that after God told Noah to build the ark, he had to patiently wait for the ark to be finished 120 years for the next part of his plan to be accomplished. Think about how weird that is. It says that when God waited patiently while knowing Noah was building his ark. I mean, you have the, the Trinity in heaven going, work a little faster. Have you ever hired a contractor? They're always slower than planned. But this says what it says. God had to wait patiently. All right, the boat is done. Now let's send the rain. Isn't that weird? I mean, we always think of persecution. Well, now this may be more relevant in your life. You're not, you and I aren't worried about persecution today. We could see how it could start, but we're not worried about it today. Today we're wondering when God's going to kick in and do something. Well, maybe he is. Maybe he's building an ark. Maybe you're not a part of building that ark, but he's building the ark. And the question is, will you be like God and patiently wait? Are you going to wait on his timing? Well, I don't want to wait on his timing. Jesus didn't want to die. He didn't want to suffer. But we are here, like Zechariah, to fulfill God's plan, to accomplish his tasks in this life, to be his temple. Only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood, verse 20 ends. Verse 21, and that water is the picture of baptism, which now saves you. It's not by the removal of dirt from the body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I, I don't want to get into water baptism here. I'm just going to simply say this. Water baptism in the New Testament was how you responded to the gospel message. And so i got to be careful because a lot of you grew up Church of Christ, and I want to be very, very clear. If as a result, a response to the gospel... You go into a baptismal pool and I say, I want Jesus to be my Savior, or you walk an aisle, or you pray a prayer, or you're sitting on a cross and you look over at Jesus and say, remember me when you come into your kingdom. None of those behaviors save you, but all of those reflect a heart of wanting to be saved by the only person that can save you. Are you following me? This is very weird as a Baptist to say, but I really don't care if you walk down the aisle into the baptismal, into the counseling room, or you sit where you're at and just simply cry out to God, or while you're dying, you cry out to Him. The point is a changed heart, and he says that here. It is, the, it is not because of the water that a person is saved, removal of dirt from the body, but it is a response to God from a clean conscience. It is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So you are putting your hope in what Jesus Christ did. Does that make sense? Do you see that here? Because I really don't want to spend a lot of time debating what church is right on baptism or not, because it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter what your church doctrine is. It matters what God is. And we got to get back to the Scripture that teaches clearly, not the Baptist faith and message or the Assembly of God doctrinal statement or Bethel's statement of faith. It is what God's Word says. And this morning, we've already taken a stand against what most churches teach. And one is, prepare to suffer I don't want to prepare to suffer. It's not your life. You've been bought with a price. 
I just want to be left alone. Live and let live. Everybody wants to be left alone. But that's not our calling. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And if you think God was offensive in Jesus, take it, uh, and He was perfect in love, my goodness, how much more offensive are we? These are, these are the teachings of the Apostle Peter. These are the truths of living as a Gentile in this world. These are the truths. And, and the quicker we jump into Zechariah's life, what he embodied for us, the life of Jesus, the quicker we have the attitude of Christ and of the Trinity in their patience for the plan of God to come to fruition, in being willing to be a living and holy sacrifice, the more joy we'll have in this life. Look, I understand Zechariah didn't have a choice. The three dudes jumped out of a tree. He screamed. He asked for help. But he did have a choice to write that guy's name in the front of his Bible and pray for him. And that sounds like Jesus to me. That is remarkable. And that's exactly what he's talking about. Verse 22. Now, after all the painful work Jesus did, okay? Now... Christ has gone to heaven. He is seated in the place of honor next to God and all the angels and authorities and powers accept his authority. That's your story. Just so you know. Well, that was Jesus. There's nothing it says about Jesus here that it doesn't say in Revelation about you and I. We actually get to share the throne with God. We get a name that God calls us as his children. We are declared pure and holy and the angels will understand the authority that we get. Because they're servants. Oh, please, sidebar. When you have a member of your family, even a child die, please don't say that they've gone to be an angel in heaven. That's a step back. Angels are servants of the most holy God. We are the children of the most holy God. Do you understand the difference? Go hire a maid and ask your kid if they would rather be the maid or they'd rather be them. I mean, the fact is we are a child of God and we forget that. We are a child of the Trinity, joint heirs with Christ. And even more powerfully, we are given the same task as Christ except saving people in this life. We are the temple. We are the place people come. Back to 1 Peter 4, today's text. So then, since Christ suffered physical death, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you had suffered physically for Christ, you finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing around your own desires, but you'll be anxious to do the will of God. To which I wrote a question this week. What? I mean, what, what are you talking about, Peter? You just went from be ready to suffer and sacrifice yourself and even die like Christ to not chasing sin. But let's be honest here. The reason we struggle with sin is because we have had a disappointing day. It I doesn't matter. Listen, it doesn't matter. It, whatever your sin is that you struggle with the most, let's, let's take a big one, drinking or adultery. The reason that you drink is because you're disappointed with your day. And you deserve a break. You want a little bit of happiness to finish your day. That's the joke on TV. It's what we do. Uh, even women today, it's been very, this is one of the differences in my life, and I'm old enough now to say, when I was a kid, but even women today, it is weird to see commercials where women deserve a break or comments on Facebook, and that's code for we get to go to the bar together as Christian women and have a glass of wine. I think fellowship is great. I don't even care about the wine. I just think it's weird that we think we deserve a break at the end of the day. A break from what? Well, being a mom, being a wife. I know, I just picked on the women. 
But that's your life. That's your task. We don't get time off. Not from our calling. When did we decide that we deserve a break? When McDonald's started that commercial series? I mean, the truth is, this is what we do. What do we want to do? Do we want to sit and watch YouTube all day? Do you want to sit in your backyard and watch the sun go up and come down? I mean, what, what is it that you want? What is it that the church wants? I want a good life. Well, who gets to decide what's a good life? You see, what I'm saying is, we've become self-worshippers. I don't, we don't have, a, I, I'm reading through the Bible again this year, and uh, I'm at the place where the children of Israel are now in the promised land, and after all the deliverance, after 40 years of following smoke and fire, after watching the walls of Jericho fall down, after seeing Gideon, a com- those of you who are about to have children, before you name your kid after a Bible character, would you please read their story? Gideon is not the embodiment of a hero. The dude kept questioning God. He's kind of a wimp. He's very Mark-like. But when you read the story, it is amazing what God raises out of this guy. He actually uh, argues with the nation to turn their heart to God, but they don't want to. And the truth is, they actually don't want to not become worshipers. They choose Baal, a fake god. Well, I would argue we're not in danger in this culture, in this community, of going to Baal. I actually think we're in danger of something much worse. And that is self-worship in the name of Jesus. And it's been going on a long time, but it is at its zenith right now. Remember the old bumper sticker, God is my co-pilot? That never bothered anybody. When did you get to decide that God gets to partner with you? I thought we were partnering with God. Have you never read the story of Joshua in the wilderness when, when, the, uh, when the angel of the Lord comes on with a fiery sword and he pulls the sword and he asks, are you with us or our enemies? And the angel of the Lord said, neither. God wasn't even on the Hebrew side. The question isn't whether God, uh, God is on our side. The question is whether we're on God's side. And when you read these scriptures, you go, what does it look like to be on God's side? It looks like giving everything up. My life, my right, the inalienable right to a life of happiness and self-absorption. Even in the name of Jesus, I have the right to be like Zechariah. I have the right to be like Jesus. We don't feel what we want to feel, so often we jump to whatever makes us feel better. That's sin. It could be alcohol, it could be sex, it could be pornography. It could be uh, anger, bitterness. It could be anything. It could be self-righteous religion. You know the reason most deacons in a Baptist church look grumpy? Because they wish they could drink like the rest of the church. (laughs) So they sneak out the back and they smoke. I mean, the truth is, one of the things, and I'm a fan of AA, but one one of the most important statements that AA says is, if you don't replace alcohol with something else, you will be a miserable dry drunk. And I think most Christians are dry drunks. I think most Christians don't commit adultery and, <clears throat> and try not to steal and cheat and lie. Well, lying, it depends on how a person's hair looks or their kids are ugly. But, <clears throat> but most Christians, I think, want to follow the Ten Commandments, want to be that. I think most Christians actually want to be that. The problem is, doing that in no joy, you might as well do it. Because that's legalism. That's not joy. That's not serving the Lord. Do you know how the Bible defines sin? Romans 14, 23b. 
It tells us that anything, everything that does not come from faith is sin. You thought it was adultery, lying, cheating, and stealing. It's worse than that. It's preaching in your own power. So how was church today? Excellent. I was fantastic. I mean, it's so difficult when you look at that because you're like, well, well, what if I sin without knowing it? The good news is I've confessed my sin. He's faithful and just, and he's forgiven me from all unrighteousness, including the ones I'm not even aware of. The truth is, it's not about sin for Mark Wilkie anymore. It's about trust. You see, this whole letter isn't really about sin, and I would argue isn't even really about persecution. It's actually about trusting. Do I trust the Lord? Do I want to be like God as His temple in this world? Am I really surrendered to the idea that I am going to be like God here? Well, I can't be like God. There is something else that goes on in the church today when we accept the holiness of God, and that is fatalism. This idea that, well, I can't be it, so I might as well enjoy the ride because I'm such a loser saved by grace. Well, all of that may be true, but God has, not, has told us not to give up, but to keep surrendering. We're not fatalistic. Even in this conversation this last couple of years about politics and all that's going on, I do have periodically people who say, so if you think God wants us to be at peace with this lousy government, blah, 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 so you just want, want to let it happen? You're not going to fight it? Well, that's not what we're asked to do. We're asked to actually be the temple of the Holy Spirit. While they're doing their thing in Washington, and they're doing their thing in Ukraine, and they're doing their thing in Russia and Iran, and you can fill in the, uh, whatever country, community you want, we are tasked, I am tasked with being the temple of the Holy Spirit. To the Muslim down the street, to the gay couple next door, to the, uh, to the self-righteous Christian, my job is to speak truth and love into people's lives. I'm not doing nothing. I'm surrendered. I'm surrendered to being a piece of the kingdom here on earth. That is something. Well, it's not going to change the country. That's not my worry. If God can use Nebuchadnezzar, he can use Trump. If God can use Nebuchadnezzar, he can use Biden. Now, I did both. Somebody's going to write me and tell me that I, was, I said the word Biden differently than I said Trump. Just relax. They're both pretty screwed up. Why? Because they haven't done this. You want to know what's going on in the world today? Depravity. Yeah, yeah, I know it's depravity. But how could somebody be so stupid? Depravity. I know, Mark, but how could somebody be so stupid? Depravity. Look, I get it, okay? Buckle your seatbelts. I get it. If you stop buying oil from another country, but you want to drill in other places, but you don't drill in your own country... That's nuts. No, it's depravity. It's depravity. Sin makes you stupid. If you claim, okay, my Democrat friends, hold on, I'm going I'm to do this. If you claim to be a man of the word, but you hold the Bible upside down and misquote scripture, it's depravity. And any Christian who makes exceptions for people who try to pretend to be godly men and women, and I don't know Trump's walk with God, but when he stood in front of that church and held the Bible upside down and misquoted scripture, every Christian should go, Cringy. Just stay away from God, President Trump. Please, don't talk about God. You are the least God-like person we've ever seen. Except I come from a contractor family, so I've seen a lot of Trumps in my life. The, the truth is, do not live for this country. Live for that country. So should I do nothing? No, you should vote. That's your right. Go vote, but vote the values of the kingdom. 
Don't, value, don't, don't vote the values of the Republican Party or the Democrat Party. Vote the values of the kingdom. And be the temple of the Holy Spirit because that's what this community is missing. This community of East Texas, of Angelina County, is not lacking people who go to church. It's lacking people who live every day of the week that value system. How do I know? Because, well, you know how I know. Because Monday is very different than Sunday morning in, in East Texas. On the other hand, there's a lot of really seriously godly people in this community. How do I know that? Because I watch them praying with people. It's a really cool thing to go to lunch in East Texas and see two or three cops actually pray before they eat. Now, you don't know them behind the scenes. All I know is they pray. I don't know the guy on the video either, but it moves my heart. But I'll tell you, you want to reach people in East Texas for Jesus, be the temple of the Holy Spirit. Be Zechariah. No, you're not going to be jumped from a tree, probably. But what will happen is, let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. Uh, back to, this letter, as I said, not about how to endure suffering after all. It's about making Christ Lord of our lives and learning to trust the Lord patiently, no matter what our present circumstances are or how long we have to wait. What Peter is saying is, if you can just stop trying to please self and feel good at the end of every day. I love Hallmark movies. I've told you that. Julie loves Hallmark movies. I like them during Christmas because I don't want to lie. But you know why I like them? Because they always end stupid. I've told you this before. In the first 10 minutes, I can guess. It doesn't take long. The girl coming from out of town who's got the high-paying job in New York is going to end up coming home and running the cafe that her family owned, and she's going to fall in love with her high school love interest who isn't making any money in life, but he's a very nice person. Okay? That's why I watch Hallmark movies. I don't have to think. I, I, when I go to movies at a theater, I don't want to watch real life. I want to watch something stupid. I, I do. That's just, that's just me. That's why we like Hallmark, because I can turn my brain off. I don't have to live my reality. But I'm smart enough to know that Hallmark is a lie. That's not how it works. I know that after that couple that loved each other from childhood get married, she's going to get cancer and die. Oh, that was depressing. Thank you, Steve Hicks, for laughing. <laughs> Your laugh is so familiar. You are so depressing, Pastor. Pastor. I'm not. But if you put your hope in the Lord, what a wonderful life you've had. You've just spent all of your parents' inheritance money for you, and you had a good year, and then you go to be with God. It doesn't get any better than that. But we just don't believe it gets better than this. You see, that's the problem. We think that we only go around the moon once, or whatever, you know. We only go around once. We don't just go around once. We go around twice, and this is the hard one. Our hope is in the Lord, it's in what's coming, it's in God, and our joy is in Him. And as you raise your demonic children, raise them to serve God, not their love interest. The reason we get married, and this is one of the things we go over and over with the young couples that we marry, you are not getting married to fulfill your own happiness. You are getting married because you believe you can serve this person in a way to present them to God. That's what, that's what sacred marriage is. The reason secular marriages fail at a higher than 50% rating is because they're disappointed that that person doesn't make them as happy as they feel they deserve to be. And somewhere along the line, in Facebook, that high school girl, the dude always wanted to marry, shows up and she's pretty, and she shows attention to him so they run away together and guess what three years later they still end up divorced because she disappoints life is a disappointment unless you have God at the core of your value system 
when Zechariah was beat to death at the beginning of the story, he goes home, except that unfortunately, like Lazarus, it wasn't his time. So he has to heal. And at the end of his life, he gets this great moment. But what we don't know is how Zechariah felt about meeting that guy. Y'all know who Corey Tinboon is, right? She talks about a time she was speaking in a church and a guy came up from the back and said, do you recognize me? No. Should I? Yes. I was the guard that oversaw you and your sister and whatever and went into the story. And she tells this story a lot in her memoirs and in her books because she said, I had to forgive him. That's not easy, even for Corey Tinboon. This is real. We have real feelings. It's not Hallmark. And by the way, the snow is always fake. If you watch them step, the whole front yard moves. It's fake. And if in that you're like, oh, I just this reminds me of Larry. Larry was so sweet. I knew him in third grade. I should have married Larry instead of Mark. I'm going, have you looked at Larry? He has no teeth now. Julie, there's no Larry in her past. But isn't that, you're laughing because we all know that it's just, you know, when, it is funny to hear people, you know, who are married 50, 60 years, people ask, so what is, you know, what's the secret to a good marriage? And they're always like, <laughs> the honest ones say lots of alcohol. The, 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 tr the truth is, it's, it's not easy. But man, if you're both pointing towards Jesus, what a joy. You spur each other on. You can leave Sunday mornings and you can discuss what we studied in Scripture all Sunday afternoon and Monday morning and Tuesday. That is so fun to do with my wife. And you know, there's a lot of times, not half the time, but there's times she says, look, here's something more that God is teaching me. And we talk about that because we have God in common. We have God in common. That's why gathering is so cool. This isn't about reaching the lost when we gather. It's that we have God in common, and there are Democrats in this room, and there's lots of Republicans in this room. And most of you that are still here are finally at the point where you're going, okay, America isn't everything. And piece by piece, God is changing the way you look at the world. And you see a video like that, and you go, man, am I Zachariah? It's worse than that. Peter's saying you've got to be like Jesus. Oh, I'll never be like Jesus, not without Jesus, not without his control. See, this isn't about being prepared to die for your faith. This is about surrendering control of your life to God, to the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within you so you won't spend the rest of your life choosing your own desires, but you'll actually be anxious to do the will of God, which is what that text says in the part that we all kind of go, what the heck are you talking about? Peter says, if you actually surrender control of your life, well, let's read it again, 1 Peter 4, 1 to 3. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your life chasing your own desires. Would you not say that that is pretty much everybody you know chasing your own desires? How about it's written at the preamble of the Constitution? Everybody has the inalienable right to the pursuit of happiness. What if God says, I'm not going to make you happy in this life? Do you still have the right to chase it? No, but I'm going to. Okay. Then you're, then you're Jonah. You're not Stephen, you're Jonah. But you will be anxious to do the will of God if you're surrendered. You have had enough of the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy, their immorality, their lust, their feasting, drunkenness, wild parties, and their terrible worship of idols. Wow. 
Let me requote verse 3 in the NIV. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans choose. Peter could be standing here right day today in front of East Texas and be saying this. Are you done? Are you tired? Are you tired of being tired? Are you tired of being scared? Are you tired of being afraid for the future? Then set your eyes just a little bit higher. Put them on Jesus. Because this, last may, this life may last you 110 years, but the life seated on the throne, given a name by God where the angels respect your authority, that's going to be 10 billion years, and that's only the first day. That's where our hope lies. It's in the next. He goes on in verse 4. There is a cost. Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do, so they slander you. And for some of you, that's your spouse. When you married them, you either weren't saved or serious about God, and now that you're getting serious about God, they're mocking you. Why wouldn't they? You're the one who's changed, not them. You remind them of accountability. Why wouldn't they be upset? 2 Corinthians, Corinthians 2.16, remember this verse? To those who are perishing, unsaved, we are the dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. Of course the world hates us. Why are we so surprised when they hate us? I thought America was Andy Griffith. No, Andy Griffith was Andy Griffith. It was a TV show. It was a Hallmark show for 30 minutes. Yeah, there was things to learn from, but it wasn't realistic. It just wasn't real life. This is real life. That's why it's called entertainment, so you can escape reality for just a few moments and pretend that Perry Mason won every episode, <laughs> that he was on every side of the issue, and he always wanted justice to rule. He never had a guilty person he worked for. We love that. The problem is, what happens when Satan uses that? I'll tell you what happens. It becomes part of the paradigm of the world's viewpoint, and Disney starts coming out with movies like Becoming red or pink or whatever. What's it called, Anna? Becoming red? Is that what it's called? Where the theme of the movie is, you're 13 now, you can do whatever you want. And don't let your parents slow you down. There will be beautiful music and you will like it. But it's still a lie. Or Milan. That has the same exact theology with good music as going to Madagascar. Where the theologies that we dealt with while we were there is don't listen to your dead ancestors. Those aren't real. They're spirits that are deceiving you. Or Coco, which simply teaches a Mexican heritage, ancestor worship. Is that okay with you as a child of God? Oh, don't be so serious, Pastor. It's just movies. It's Disney. Everybody loves Disney. I got to tell you something. My two-year-old nephew, if you want to know what my language is like, listen to my two-year-old nephew. You should have, grandson. Did I say his nephew? I don't even remember his name. I call him Zach. I call Zach Sam, whatever. You know that little kid that walks around here? He's as handsome as his grandfather. That kid is so smart at two, and you grandparents know what I'm talking about. My kids were dumb as a whole handle, but my grandkids are so smart. <laughs> Anything I say, he repeats. It's crazy. And I don't even think he likes me that much. Now, Anna, he loves. But I'm like, I'm like, Anna, Anna, would you come to your grandfather? Anna! <laughs> but i got to tell you something. He remembers everything. Do I really want 
him to be taught lies from a cartoon character? Because guess what? At 13, you're an idiot. And God gave you your parents and your grandparents to protect you from your idiocy. I don't care how many Disney movies come out and say that mom and dad don't understand the pressures of today. Oh, yeah, we do. We just think they're stupid. So let me tell you something. As long as I'm scholarshipping you, I get to decide what, what, what you have on your phone. And I'm going to look at your phone. What about privacy issues? At 18, when you move out, you can have all the privacy you want. But until then, you have none. <laughs> you should assume every day I'm going through everything. And I'm going to know everything you think. That's terrible parenting. No, it's not. It's called caring. They have no rights except that which is given, not by the government, but by dad and mom. Because that's my task. What does God want me to do in this world? He wants me to be faithful and fulfill my tasks in the arena he gives them to me. So yeah, I'm going to vote, but I'm not running for president, so I'm not going to worry about D.C. I am going to worry about my church. And I'm going to tell the truth. And I'm going to preach the gospel. And my neighbors... Whether they have my value system or not, I'm going to love on them, and I'm going to tell them about hope. And my grandson, he's going to hear about Jesus whether he loves him or not, because I love him. And I believe that Jesus Christ is the only hope of every person, whether they're a Wilkie or not. Jesus Christ is our only hope. Amen. Whether you are American, Ukrainian, Russian, Chinese, whether you are president, whether you are a evil or righteous. God is your only hope. Time for the church to rise up and live like we believe it and expect to suffer for it. Why wouldn't we suffer? They're going to hate us for it. But God is so good. He's so good. I love this. Dear friends, well, I'm, I'm going to end with uh, well, 1 Peter 4, 5, and 6. Remember that they will have to face God, those who persecute you, who stands ready to judge everyone, both the living and the dead. That is why the good news was preached to those who are now dead. So although they were destined to die like all people, they will now live forever with God in the Spirit. In other words, I know that people in Hollywood and Washington make you angry. And people in this community who do evil make you angry. Put your hope in God for them as well. They will be judged. Pastor, is it, is it okay for me to want them to be judged? All I know is David did, and that's what it says. Put your hope in God. If the Lord saves them, then do what Zechariah did. Love them anyway. Do what Corey Tinboon did. Love them anyway. But remember, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Not yours. Every avenue you can think of this morning, the question is, do we trust God? It isn't whether we've been forgiven of our sin. It isn't whether we're good people. It's do we trust God. And as your pastor, I just want to tell you something. I'm way less worried about whether or not you're obsessed over not sinning today than I am whether or not you are surrendered to God. In fact, I don't ever have to talk about sin again to believers because if you are surrendered to God, the spirit within you is going to direct you away from sin. I think too often Satan gets us distracted with sin. If, if you are actually in love with God, surrendered to God, you're not going to be sleeping with somebody else's wife. 
If you are surrendered to God, you're not going to be sleeping with somebody else's husband. If you're surrendered to God, you're going to pour your life into discipling your children. If you are surrendered to God, you are going to be faithful in your service to the Lord. If you are surrendered to God, you're not going to post on Facebook things that are offensive to people. Because your goal, first and foremost, is to bring the kingdom of God into little places in this dark earth. That's what we do. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And this whole text, I could have wrapped up in 30 seconds. Be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. I know some of you are bored. I've been doing this 16 and a half years now, and you have figured out that there's only two applications to every message. Get saved or get surrendered. You're right, guilty. There's nothing else. You've been forgiven. So now the question is, what are you going to do with what's left? I encourage you to surrender. There is joy there, and I'm finding it. Am I happy when I turn on the news? No. Do I get worried? Yeah. Am I going to scream? <laughs> like Zachariah. But if I survive it, I really, really, really want to be like Zachariah too. I really want to be like Jesus, who constantly calls those who killed him to himself. How cool is that? That is a life well lived. So you have your little communion snack pack. It's time. And the first part of it's the bread. You know, this is unleavened bread, and it's part of the Passover meal all the way back from the Exodus. But at the Last Supper in the upper room, Jesus took this bread, and he looked at the disciples, and he broke it. He said, now, let me show you something new. This bread is my body, which is broken for you. You do this and remember me, how I lived and what I did. See, Jesus was willing to pay the, the, the human price for 33 years until he would pay the divine price on the cross. And so we gather together to have communion today to first and foremost remember that Jesus was willing to do it. And I ask you this morning, are you willing to have the heart of Christ going forward? And if you are, take this in remembrance of him with me. Lord, we just said by action that we are willing to follow your lead even if it hurts. And I saw a lot of people take. The truth is, this afternoon, we're going to blow it with our kids. We're going to blow it with our grandkids. We're going to blow it with the waitress. I thank you for the blood of Christ that washes away all of our sin. And so thank you that while asking us to be the temple of the Holy Spirit, you have already made provision for when we fail. And because of that, because if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, we take the grape juice that looks like blood to remind us that Jesus Christ paid it all. Let's do it in remembrance of him. Would you just take a moment and talk to your Savior? Tell him what you need to say. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray all these things. Amen. At the door, there's going to be an elder and, uh, with, an, with an offering plate. And that is for if you would like to participate in what we call our Benevolence Fund. Uh, we help folks in our church family that have needs. Uh, this last month, we've been able to help a lot of folks. I know you don't know about all that, but that's because we do it on your behalf. If you'd like to help, great. If not, that's okay, too. Um, let's go get them, folks. I love you. God bless you. Let's live for Jesus.